Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Woke by Accident Podcast. I am your host, Jan Washington. This is a weekly chat about socially conscious topics impacting the culture. I would like to extend my gratitude in you listening to this podcast. It means everything to me, and I hope it is clear that this subject matter is so important to me. I care about our people, our future, and making a positive change in this nation. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Woke by Accident Podcast. And this episode is especially for the content creators of color challenge. I wanted to share an episode where I had one of our fellow creatives on my show earlier um, this summer, Daryl Barnes was a guest on my show and we had a really great conversation and talked about some great topics, Henrietta Lacks and what was going on with the lawsuit with the family and the experimentation that they did on her uh, really interesting story. Google Henrietta Lacks and just um, some other uh, great topics were covered as so I want to share that interview an episode with you with our fellow content creator Daryl Barnes check it out guys and welcome to another episode of woke by accident podcast today we have a special guest Daryl Barnes audio engineer and host of the all things black podcast welcome to the show Daryl Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's a great pleasure to be on your show. I've actually listened to a couple of your ep- episodes or, and uh, I found them actually to be very informative. And I like the title, by the way, Woke by Accident. I, that's pretty, pretty creative. Oh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to have you on my show to find out exactly why you called it Woke by Accident. But, uh, but uh, that's, I guess that's later on down the, down the line. Yeah. I am a uh, podcast host of the All Things Black podcast. You can hear it on all the streaming platforms. I am also an audio engineer, like you said. I actually have more than a couple of years up under under my belt. I I went to school in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was the Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis studio that we trained in. I got a chance to see. Yeah, I got a chance to see all the greats that were recorded there. Uh, Mariah Carey, uh, Janet Jackson, Boys to Men. Uh, actually, I got a couple of photographs with Boys to Men. Okay. Uh, so there's some great stories there that, uh, you know, they have for all of the national artists that came through and recorded music there. Sounds of Blackness as well. Uh, so it was a very, very, um, very, very great experience to have, um, uh, you know, to have had going through uh, with that. That's cool. And so Daryl, aka Mr. Black Ovation, has agreed to co-host the show today with me and we will get his take on some topics and we will learn more about his podcast, the All Things Black Podcast, and his audio training course, which he'll be offering soon. So um, that sounds really interesting. Um, Obviously, he's an expert in the audio engineering space. So um, something that we all will be able to take advantage of, guys. So um, be sure to check that out. We'll have the link and all of those details posted. So let's get into some topics. So the first one, there was an update to the Botham John case from September of 2018. We may remember um, Botham John gentleman was in his apartment and the office, former officer Amber Geyer, entered his apartment thinking she was entering her own apartment and fired and fatally shot him um, thinking that he was a intruder when actually she had entered his apartment and fatally shot him. And so she was sentenced to 10 years at that time. And so the update is that the Texas appeals court upheld her murder conviction. And so she was trying to basically get out sooner and the Texas courts upheld this conviction. So she will continue to serve her 10-year sentence. Um, We all remember this case and it was just really traumatic case. Your thoughts on remembering that case from 2018? Yes, I remember watching the news about it and all of the different um, things that came out about that case. My first thought was when I saw it was that 
uh, to be totally honest, I didn't think anything was going to happen to her at all, to be totally honest, because we've seen this time and time and again. And most of the time, police officers walk uh, right. because of the power of the police unions and those that back the police unions. Right. So I didn't think anything was going to happen to her at all. It was a, a travesty that this actually happened to such a young man. And uh, the fact that she was allowed to and able to pull a service uh, weapon on a man that was in his own apartment is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. Uh, the fact that they even would have to go through the lengths that they did to try to absolve her is, it, again, was, was, was ridiculous. Um, and it's still ridiculous that she would even attempt to <laughs> make an appeal to get out. She's only serving 10 years, which, of course, if she does good time, she'll be out way sooner. She's a police right, officer. Right. right. She's a police officer. You know, they cover their own. I remember um, when I was living in uh, Minneapolis, uh, there was a couple of police officers that I was, you know, kind of familiar with. And one uh, had come down from Boston, I think it was. And uh, he would he would rant and rave all the time about how he felt that many, the, the city of Minneapolis did not have a, a good brotherhood. Right. Mm. A, a really good, a really good brotherhood. And he was talking about that. And as you can listen to him talk, he was actually talking it, it, to me. It, it was cold to say, you know, we really need a brotherhood that was really going to cover our behinds no matter what we do. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, that is the police stance, the blue, you know, the blue, uh, the what is it? The thin blue line uh, that nobody. And the can wall or something. Yeah, the right? wall, yeah, the wall. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody can penetrate. Mm -hmm. uh, which is actually ridiculous. You know, police need to be held accountable for their actions, regardless of whether or not. Yeah, they need to be held accountable. And uh, this notion that, you know, they, you know, they, they can hide behind the law is, is, is ridiculous. And we need to do something about that. And first and foremost, and I'm going to say this live, the police unions need to be held fully accountable. The police unions need to be, I'm not going to say necessarily be defunded, but these are the people that needs to be going after because these are the persons that are protecting these police officers, you know, and everything that they do. But so in my opinion, the police unions need to be fully held accountable for every action, for every cover up that they have done over the years. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, definitely glad to um, see the court uphold the decision surprising that you know because like you said we we're kind of expecting her to get out sooner and she may still so um we'll see how that case develops and then the next story is from aurora colorado uh there's a video footage that was circulated on social media where a brutal arrest of a african-american man kyle vinson the body camera video from the officers uh, showed the arrest where the officers attempting to arrest three men with outstanding warrants uh when the two fled the scene kyle vinson was sit left was alone and he would be beaten um, fighting for his life later and so officer john halberd can be seen pointing his gun at Vincent, ordering him to lie face down and show his hands, which he did. Uh, the officer hit him with his pistol like seven times. One of his cuts required seven stitches. He can be heard saying that he can't breathe. The officer is now facing multiple charges, including second degree assault, attempted first degree assault. Another officer on the scene faces misdemeanor charges for failing to intervene or report the use of force. Authorities have yet to say whether Vincent will face charges for the outstanding warrant on the probation violation. But I mean, obviously from uh, the looks of the video, excessive force was used here. Um, your thoughts on this one? You know, again, um... It's nothing new. You know, I'm a, I'm a little bit older gentleman, but it's nothing new. You know, when you go back and you read all of the accounts of black men, uh, specifically black women included, that have um, encounters with the police department, some fatally. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's nothing new, you know, and. Um, I, I, you know, I just I just, you know, every time I see something like that, it just brings back to, to, to memory some of the things that I've actually encountered with some police officers. Okay. Um, 
And a lot of people say, well, we shouldn't brand, you know, police officers with the with the same brush. You know, it's, it, you, we shouldn't generalize all police officers. But I'm going to say this. If if you are a police officer and you know of corruption, if you know of anything that is um, not complying with police procedure on, and, and ethics and things like that, and you know of that to be happening in any any department. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that you're a good police officer. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to say that because if you can't out your brothers or sisters mm-hmm. who is doing something that they know they shouldn't be doing, then you're just as bad as the one that's actually committing those heinous crimes. Oh, totally. So, yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't see, I, I'm not going to say I see good police officers or bad police officers. You, you are in effect ruining the names of the quote unquote good police officers by not outing the bad police officers. Um, that was extreme. I did see the video, you know, the gentleman's head was cracked open, you know, and you can see him bleeding profusely from the forehead, uh, totally excessive. But some of the things that we have to understand as well is that, you know, I, I, I'm going to say this about us. Some of us believe that we're under, we're under the illusion that for some reason that racism is, is not existent. <laughs> It's not existent. You know, we have great relationships with other ethnicities and races of people, and that's that's fine. But the construct, the infrastructure that uh, founded this country is still here. And you still have people that are of a very racist mindset, and they have infiltrated every institution in this country. So it's not it's not a coincidence that you would have somebody that would just go off have cocked and angry, mm-hmm. even though there was no warrant for them to be angry and just begin to take it out on somebody that they deem lesser than themselves. And now here again, we potentially could have had another George Floyd situation. Right. Where a man died on camera and now everybody is again up in an uproar and, we, and we're still grieving from the fact that George Floyd died some years ago brutally and it went out nationally, you know, and internationally. And people saw this. So I'll say this much and I'll, and I'll be done. Unfortunately, because a lot of us as black people have not fully come together, we haven't learned these lessons yet. I would venture to say that more of this is, is to come because one of the things that it's doing is two things that it's doing. It is uncovering those that have hidden for years behind the veil of racism and, and white supremacy. And it's also showing us as black people that we need we must come together to fend off these kinds of racist, racist attempts and attacks. Mm. You say more? <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, because, oh, wow. because I mean, it's I, I hate to say it, but, you know, mm. this this is not this is not an isolated incident. There's more right. that's not being published. Right. We just we just only know about the ones that are being published. But there's more that's that's that's, that's going on. They didn't make it to a camera. Right. You know, police police department. Yeah, police departments who are supposed to wear um, body cams. Well, they know how to turn off the body cam. Well, they know how to take the, the footage and then edit it and <laughs> present it to the public like nothing ever happened to benefit the officers. Right. So, so this is nothing true. new. This is nothing That's new. So there's there's a multitude of those incidents that are occurring across the across the country that we just not. Made, you know, haven't been made privy to. We don't know anything about them. So we just get a glimpse into a George Floyd situation or we get a glimpse into the gentleman's situation in Colorado. Right. But there's, there's plenty more going on. Yeah, that's a good point. And you, like you said, coming together when these situations occur, um, putting pressure on the departments, um, the fact that they have filed charges against the officer to hold him accountable is good. Like you said, holding the other officers accountable um, definitely needs to happen. Uh, there was one case in Buffalo, New York, I talked about, and um, to just show you an example of how deep it can get with the whole intervening. So Carrie Horn, that case, you know, she intervened in a chokehold situation way before the George Floyd, like 15 years. And she was actually punished, lost her job, lost her pension and everything. Buffalo, New York, 15 plus years. And she's just now getting it back now 
um they had our own breakfast club yes, and all this yes, stuff a couple yeah, years ago yeah, i heard about that yeah and she actually liked one of my posts where i actually talked about it which was interesting um which i guess maybe the hashtag she saw but uh yeah it took all that time but i mean she's been putting pressure and raising this issue all this time to you know get um, and I think maybe George Ford and all that may have had some impact in, hey, you know, that was wrong. Okay. <laughs> you know, and they made a change in it, but it just shows you like she intervened in something that clearly wasn't right. And she actually got in trouble for it. So, um, hey, but, but see, that's the thing though, you know, you know, I, I commend her fully mm-hmm. for standing up, you know, yeah. and she lost quite a bit for doing it. And I think that's the thing. We 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 get to a point where you know, hey, I've, I've I've accomplished you know being an officer. I went through my training. I got my certificates. I went through college. I got my degree. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a loss of those things that we get to a place where we're afraid of losing by telling the truth. Yes. You know, there's so many people that know the truth in every department in every institution but they're afraid of telling the truth because they understand what the consequences are, or they've actually seen the consequences being carried out on somebody else. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to do that. But we're in a day and time now where you have to tell the truth. You, you, you got to tell the truth regardless of the circumstances, uh, because there's, there's something else coming down the, down the pipe is that's either going to either force you to tell the truth and stand with truth or, you know, face the face the consequences of not telling the truth yeah i mean i feel like it's going to come out in some way but i mean there's a great deal of pressure on you i acknowledge that i had uh, a former officer on he was actually from dc and so like his experience is a lot different because he was like everybody was black all the way from the chief all the way down but you know it was a it was pressure that you didn't go against your colleagues, you know? And so. But what makes that, let me, let me ask this question. What makes that different than a gang? (laughs) (sighs) That's different because they take a, they take a oath and a, you know. Yeah. What, and that's what I'm saying. So what makes that different than a gang? So we, so we, you know, and, and a lot of officers and everybody that, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people in public life look at, people that are in gangs and they say, Oh, these, these people are terrible. These people are horrible, mm-hmm. but they take an oath. <laughs> they take a pledge, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, it's a family. They have uh, laws, right? That you can't violate those laws. And if you do violate those laws, there could be some consequences. Okay. okay. So, you know, put that on the police department, dress it up, put a badge on it. Right. And they, you know, when they dress blues and shiny shoes and they get, get a salary and whatnot for doing it but i don't see i don't see the difference i don't see the difference yeah i guess when you're looking at that way (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't see the difference because you know i just okay so there was another um oh man i forget that somebody sent it to me but it was it was a young gentleman black young black guy that uh i think was involved in a car accident and he um was running right so he took off and ran he ran into an elevator. The elevator didn't go up fast enough. So he actually exited the, the elevator and he was trying to go back into the, the, uh, the, uh, the entrance that he uh, came out of. And one of the police officers caught up with him. Okay. So we're inclined sometimes to see police officers that are maybe about maybe three, four deep, right? Maybe six, six deep. We see them like that. Well, in this video, there was about maybe 15 police officers and every police officer jumped on this boy. They did not have a weapon oh, or wow. anything. There was about 15 police officers and one more than two were seen kicking the, kicking the gentleman on the floor. So again, how is that different than a gang? Mm-hmm. It, it, in my opinion, you know, that's, that's what, that's the questions I raise. And, and I raise those questions quite a bit and nobody can really tell me what's the difference except for the fact that they're supposed to uphold a law. Right. But I don't see the difference. Well, that's a horrible thought because there (laughs) is supposed to be this honor and the protect and serve. And you would think that if something were to happen that you could call on the authorities to be there. Yes. You know, yes. And don't get me wrong. There has been great 
uh, situations where police have actually literally done their job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, when you get these type of um, um, things that happen and it's shown to the world, it gives a bad name to police officers in general, no different than it would be given a bad name to us in our community when our, um, you know, something happens in our community and it's lambasted all, all across the news media and it's exported outside the country. People begin to look at us in a different light, right? Negatively. And the same thing with the police officers. When that happens, okay, police officers start to get bad raps. We expect you, like, like when I had a run in with the police department, I expected them to do their job. I expected them to do that job. I didn't expect them to do anything outside of that. And when that, when that happened, right, when I got jumped on, when that happened to me, I'm like, well, damn. Like, I expect you to put me in handcuffs. Not, not to say that I was doing something that was just totally over the top, but if you want to detain somebody, I expect you to put me in handcuffs, right? I expect you to question me. I expect that. But when you go out of your way to make it known that you can get away with certain things, like I had a gun held in my head, I, I, you know, I got, I got hit upside the head with a flashlight. I got punched in the face. I got slammed on top of a, a, a car. And then when, when, when they ran my record, cause they thought I was some type of criminal because you know, black men are criminals. When they ran my record, nothing came back completely clean. Wow. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, and it's like, what was that for? Is that, like, were you teaching me a lesson? And then, no, no apology, nothing like that. And then just sent me on my way. And I'm like, wow. So these, so these things happen on a, on a continuous basis. These things do happen. And, 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 you know, not that I have any kind of ill will in my heart for the police department mm-hmm. because of my experience, but at the same time, when it happens, when, the, when that type of occurrence happens off all too often, that is where the problem lies. It's, it's not an isolated incident. When it becomes um, continuous, in, that, that, that lies a problem. Definitely. I'm sorry that you had to experience that. That was in Atlanta or what city was that in? That, that was that was the beautiful state of Kansas City, Kansas. What was it? <laughs> Yikes. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, hopefully things will get better. But I mean, I think once so much attention is being brought, there is a better job of accountability, I think, of, you know, because if they don't, they know that people are going to be out front on the lawn of the district attorney's house if if it takes that, um, if they don't get charges. So I think, you know, they're quick to have these press conferences and things like that. But like you said, there's so many cases we don't know about, but the ones that do get the attention, I feel like there's a quicker response to give the public a response. Don't you feel like that lately? Well, well, well I'm gonna say something, you know, not, not that I haven't said anything controversy <laughs> since, since I've been on here, but but I'm a, it, it, this is really gonna be controversy, uh, controversial. Um, I'm going to be totally honest. Um, black people have protested before, mm-hmm. right? We have demanded our rights before. We've done all of that. I, I'm going to say this much that in my humble opinion, I believe, well, there's a couple of things that I could throw in there, but, but this is the one that I was really looking to say. I believe that if it had not been for quote-unquote allyship, and then sometimes I hate to use that word, but I believe if it okay. wasn't for any kind, some type of allyship, that the, atten- the attention to, uh, pardon me, kind of went out, but the attention to what happened to George Floyd probably wouldn't have gotten as much as attention if it wasn't for the allyship because we're expected to protest. We're expected to burn down stuff, you know, quote-unquote diluting and all of that, Right. Okay. But when we got the allyship in terms of, you know, other ethnicities or races becoming more involved in the situation, I think that's kind of what woke them up. 
And I think that's kind of what's happening right now. It's not per se black people uh, mm -hmm. uh, of ourselves. We need to come together. We need to do exactly what we're supposed to be doing. But when you start getting, when you start getting, um, and I'm gonna be very specific, but when you start getting white people upset about what they see occurring, because remember, they're also under the illusion that the police department is, 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 is you know, the best thing since sliced bread, right? They're under the, yes. that illusion too. So when they saw that George Floyd incident, then they were like, well, damn, wait a minute. Something's not right. Something, something, something's off. We, 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 we gotta, we gotta reexamine this. So I think that if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for that, that type of pressure, mm -hmm. they probably wouldn't have moved in the direction that they moved to be totally honest. Cause we've been protesting for years and incrementally it takes about 15, 20, 30 some odd years for us to get a minor change. A very minor change in things in this society for black people to actually be acknowledged. Right. I mean, think about it. George Floyd got hurt. All of a sudden you start to see George Floyd colleges pop up. You start to see black lives matter in DC. You started to see all of these different murals and stuff that people were, were painted. So it, so it was a huge acknowledgement, but that acknowledgement really came off to the backs of the allyship. And I'm not putting the importance mm -hmm. on allyship. Okay. I'm not doing that. I'm saying that because of that allyship and the foundation that this country was founded upon, which is white supremacy and racism. Okay. Because of that, when you start to get, when you start to get people like that involved in that process, then that's where I think the needle moved. Hmm. I mean, okay. All right. I feel like some of the attention of the protests and just the consistency of the protests, but I mean, no doubt having allies, powerful allies, okay, um, helps definitely. So... Yeah, you know. and let me, let, me, let me clear something up because I don't want I don't want anybody beating you up or beating me up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what what black people had accomplished at that time, I think was 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 very well needed and should be mm -hmm. celebrated. You know, our coming together under under mm -hmm. that heinous um, incident, uh, you know, his death was was very much uh, needed. And like I say, it, it that that should be celebrated because. We, we did stand up, you know, we, we, we came together. Uh, so yes, you know, us quote unquote, putting pressure on, you know, our, you know, constituents and our, and people that, that are in, um, you know, political office, I think, you know, yes, that did have an impact, but at the same time, I still believe if it wasn't for that degree of allyship, that things probably would have been a lot different. Cause look at how they painted George Floyd. George Floyd. Oh, it, it during was, the case, yeah. Yeah, totally. look at how they painted the man. And the, and the sad part about it was, was that we caught you on camera for eight minutes and forty six seconds, kneeling on a man that did not fight you. They didn't fight you at all. He 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 cooperated. He he took instructions. Right. He did every last bit of that, but you found it necessary to kneel on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. What was in his mind to do that for eight minutes and 46 seconds? Right. Like, I mean, how Chauvin's mother, like, yeah, that, and I mean, even like the girlfriend, or I don't know if she was an ex-girlfriend or his current girlfriend, how she was sat there and said how they did drugs together. And it's just like, they were totally trying to, um, you know, prepare some sort of narrative yes. that um, he died from drugs and not from kneeling on his neck and all that. And even like during the case, there were interviews of the officers of Breonna Taylor. They would make reference to the George Floyd 
case mm -hmm. and they would say i'm not sure if he died from the kneeling or a drug mm -hmm. over so and that was intentional all day yep, long yeah, yep, 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 totally yep. intentional That's because the, the case wasn't even started by then but for him i think it was madden lee mm -hmm. or whoever it was uh, i don't know if his book is out yet or what but what what he said was totally intentional he made sure to put it out there that you know a lot of white people think that he didn't die from the kneeling of the neck he died from these drugs he was on and they had that white lady sit up there and say they got pills from people and it was like what was the who who why you know but, but, like, but let's but let's explore that for a minute i mean okay he let, let's say he did drugs because i don't know let's say he did drugs okay you're, you're still looking at a functioning man he's walking on his two legs he's, he has all of his faculties you know, um, big guy. He was a big guy. Mm -hmm. And he literally probably could have took out two of those police officers at, if he would have gotten angry to be time. He would have, he could have took out a couple of them. Aside from the fact that they did have service revolvers, let's take the service of revolvers out of the, the, the equation, right? Let's take the mace out of the equation. Let's take the uh, tasers out of the equation. Could he have possibly, if he would have gotten enraged, took out maybe two of them? Yeah, mm. I see, because he was a big guy, right? So, right. so, and this is what I'm talking about. This is what I was talking about earlier, how the narrative have all, has already been painted for us because of every negative thing. And there's negative things that go on throughout every community. Ours just happen to have more highlight reels than anybody else's. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So all the negative stuff that, you know, some of us do in our community becomes the norm for everybody else. So it was the it was the belief that he was already guilty because he took drugs. OK, so let's say he took exactly. drugs. Did it warrant you putting your neck, you hit your knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds? It no, didn't warrant that. It didn't. He already complied. He was on the ground. It was it was for you. It was for police officers. Chauvin was the ringleader and he decided that he was going to take whatever action necessary that he thought he could take to get away with it. And this is the mind of a lot of police. Well, I've done this before and I'll get away with it just like I got away with it before. Mm -hmm. This is why the police unions need to be held accountable. They do. They do. And, you know, similarly, a lot of people feel like Brianna Taylor was involved with whatever illegal activity her prior ex-boyfriend was involved with. You know, they had been watching her for weeks, you know, ahead of the incident. And, you know, I think she received an Amazon package for the guy or something. And, you know, and a lot of people today feel like, you know, she's to blame for, you know, her own death you know and it's just um I don't know, it's just really sad um that that's how you know in spite of the excessiveness and how i don't know if things did not go by the book in that raid like protocol being followed that they basically blame her you know they feel like she was a criminal herself you know <laughs> like she was involved in drugs Activity. Some of these police officers are cowboys. Mm -hmm. Some of them want the action. They don't want to be out in the rural area where it's boring. Some of them want the action. So they legitimately come up with the, um, you know, the, the idea and they're given approval to go where the quote unquote action is because they're cowboys. They want to let off. They don't care. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, again, when you have multiple police officers in a raid, no, you don't know what's in the house necessarily. You don't know what's in the house. You don't know what to expect. But you have 15, 10, however many police officers that go into that space. Right. You go into that space. You kick the doors open or you use a battering ram or whatever. And you get inside mm -hmm. the space. You're already making these 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 huge commands to the people that you are investigating or whatever, you know, doing the raid, whatever. And. You have control of the situation. You have control of the situation. So again, to blame her for her own death, 
is absolutely insane for doing that. It's not warranted. Same thing with Sandra Bland. Same thing with, uh, with many mm-hmm. others that have gone through that same process. It is absolutely ridiculous. And we're painted as monsters and boogeymen every time somebody, you know, we, we have these type of encounters with a boogeyman. So, I mean, hell, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been a, a pretty good citizen just about all my life, just like other black people. But, you know, hell, that, let's be honest, when the police pulls up behind you, there's a there's a degree of nervousness <laughs> that you have because you don't know exactly what they're going to do. OK, you don't know what's going to happen. There's a degree of nervousness like, OK, well, and what's going to happen here? So it, it, it you know, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. And I hope the listening audience understands what I'm trying to what I'm trying to you know say. But but the reality is, is that. You know, these incidents. These things that occur, you know, it has to be really and thoroughly investigated and those that do these type of um, things to the people that's supposed to be protecting and serving, they need to be held accountable, period. Yes, yes. definitely. I strayed away on that one, but it was it was just related and I just, yeah. No, no, um, we're fine. We're fine. I know yeah. I, I ramble too, but yeah. <laughs> but no, that's a good point. Accountability is key in these cases. So, you know, something um when people you know witness cases i mean people will you know pull out their phone and get footage and i think that's great because you know it can save someone's life you know it can um bring justice to someone's life so i mean yeah that's that's key that's definitely key so we'll move on to another story we will talk about this one here is about henrietta locks and uh, Henrietta Locke's family is suing a pharmaceutical company for using her sales without her permission. And so um, some of you guys may be familiar. They, um, there's a book written about this case, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Locks. I know um, Charlemagne makes reference to Henrietta Locks a lot of times on The Breakfast Club. There was a movie that Oprah played, a family member of the Locks family. And it's just a really interesting um, story that is true, actually. So Henrietta Locks was an African-American woman who had cancer and um, in the 1950s. And in, during her treatment, they discovered that her cells sort of were unique and they developed and were just really rare. And so they, you know, in discovering that her cells were so unique and developed in this way and, you know, she went through her treatment, she died and such. They kept her cells, they used her cells for all of this medical research for years without her knowledge, her family's knowledge for years. And so it's come back up again because it, it, you know, it was, it came up around 2010 was when the book came out, The Mortal Life of Henrietta Locks. And in that story, there's, it's about a journalist who basically finds out about it and she documents and she reaches out to the family and they go to John Hopkins and they do all this research in the book and the movie is basically outlining the book where the journalist is interviewing the family and they do all of this research and they uncover how they did all this research. It's really um, incredible how they did all this secretly, which is totally ethically inappropriately and wrong. And that's one of the things in medicine that is really crucial is ethics, right? So um, they totally, you know, went against that. And it's just really uh, shocking and appalling that such a prestigious um, medical institution would do such a thing or, or is it, or is it, you know, to a black woman, you know, during that time. So anyway, your thoughts on this. Story. It's totally criminal. It's totally criminal. Yeah. But, but, but experimentation on black people has been going on for years. Yeah. Um, you know, secretly, you know, they have been doing these experimentations and um, under the guise or whatever the, they, 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 they want to paint it as, and, you know, we're left not knowing, you know what I mean? And, and I think in this instance, since they did have and do have legitimate information about what happened, what occurred and the family is still living, I think the family should continue to pursue 
mm-hmm. uh, some type of uh, justice for what these people did. Uh, but you you, you got to keep in mind um, those experimentations that went on during that time frame and beyond that time frame. We're talking about um, you know during slavery and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's not uncommon for that to happen. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for experimentation that happen on black women, even during the days and times we live in now. It's just okay. not uncommon, right? Uh, it's not uncommon for experimentations to happen to black men. You know, a lot of people know about the Tuskegee experiment, you know, which was huge, yes. uh, which they still haven't done anything about that as of yet. You know, uh, I think one president actually apologized for that, but okay. what's come up, you know, what's, what's, what's come about as a result of the apology is, is the thing. Mm. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it, I'll put it this way. A lot of us are just now finding out about a lot of this information, but again, experimentations on black people have been going on for four years. And the fact that they withheld that information, the fact that they actually did exactly what they did only let me know one thing was that even during that time frame, let me know one thing is that, you know, we're still a uh, commodity, so to speak, or we're still not inclusive in this society, like we are told that we are, okay. we're, we're not. And that kind of leads back into the conversation we were having earlier about the George Floyds and all of those that actually have been done in injustice by the police department and other institutions. And the fact that you can't find any kind of um, justice from the institutions that they have available to you. I mean, you sometimes you got to go all the way to the higher court, which is actually ridiculous because if I'm part of this social, social equality, if I'm part of this country, then I should be able to enjoy the rights and the freedoms just about just like everybody else, period. Yes. Right. I shouldn't have to be scrutinized and, you know, demoralized and things of that nature. I shouldn't have to go through that. I should be given, you know, the the the, the adequate, um, again, representation and laws and stuff like that, that everybody else enjoys for that freedom. I, and I shouldn't have anybody else from a different ethnicity to speak for me. And sometimes that actually happens. We go into a neighborhood. We belong to the neighborhood, but the but you know a police officer or somebody else will come into that neighborhood and probably may have seen you like two or three times and they know you're there. But sometimes something kicks in and they'll say, "Well, do you belong here? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> why why are you here? You know, well, I live here. No, show me, show me, show me, show me you live here." And yeah, then, even the neighbors do that in associations and things like you know you see that yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then somebody that has to be benevolent in that community that everybody respects and and loves, which nine times out of 10, and I'm going to have to say it nine times out of 10, it's a white person. They come up and then they have to speak for you. That's the same thing they did in slavery. You know, when you had to have uh, somebody um, vouch for you, this is my my property or this is my this is my slave. This is mine. Mm-hmm. Right. So somebody has to vouch for you. And I think that's still ridiculous in the day and time that we live in that. You know, most people, you know, black or people of color, so to speak, have to experience that. That that is totally ridiculous. But uh, hats off to the family. Uh, they're still pursuing justice for uh, that that occurred to um, the sister. And I hope and I pray that they win some type of, uh, you know, win some type of justice in that case. Definitely. Definitely. I'll keep an eye on that story. But uh, for you guys, listeners, um, look up that story and check out the book or the movie. It was an HBO movie, but it might be like out on Hulu. Or it's just really interesting. You know, her life really is you know, interesting in that story. So the last story we'll talk about involves a really dynamic woman from my neck of the woods in St. Louis, Missouri, Corey Bush. Um, she's a congresswoman here, and she decided to take a stance um, against a rule um, impacting individuals infected by COVID. Um, a lot of people uh, lost their jobs and were impacted losing their homes and such. And so there was um, the eviction moratorium expiring. And so she actually slept outside of the DC Capitol to uh, protest this expiration. You know, she knew how many people would be impacted in facing evictions 
in their homes. And so she um, and many others slept out on the Capitol that weekend, um, was it last weekend? And because um, it affected many of millions of t- tenants um, around the country would um, be impacted by this rule or this law rather. And so based on her doing this, the um, Biden administration has extended the eviction uh, moratorium. And so, um, you know, how impactful was it for her to take the stance and make this movement? Um, She's been in office for a little while now as a congresswoman from Missouri, and she's really doing things. Um, Your thoughts on Cori Bush? Yeah, I, I haven't been following a lot of that too much, but uh, I did um, read this this story. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I think what she did was incredible. You know, uh, I think it I think it actually took a lot of courage. But at the same time, I'm going to say that, you know, our institutions should not have its citizens to go through what they are going through. You know, all of the things that are set into place to make money, you know, cause we live in a capitalistic society. Yes. All of the things that are put into place to make money. I, I get it. You know, people want to live well, but not at the expense of the ignorance of people. And I'm not calling anybody per se, you know, specifically ignorance. And what I mean by ignorance is that, you know, we're not privy to a lot of information and things that go on behind the scenes where, where we can make an educated um, judgment on what we need for our own personal life. You know, we shouldn't have to had to be put in this situation. And Cori Bush should not have had to be uh, one that, you know, went to that extreme to have a decision made by this administration to, to stay, you know, uh, the eviction. It, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous. You're mm-hmm. running a country, you have millions of people that are uh, 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 facing eviction not only that, you have many veterans who are on the street. Yes. Right. They're on the street homeless and they have served this country well. And for some reason, they can't get the adequate health care, housing, you know, money. They can't get any of that. For some reason, they've served this country well. So in my opinion, nobody needs to go to that extreme to that to happen. This institution, this government needs to do what's right by its citizens without having its citizens beg for the things that they need to function in their daily life. That is insane to me. Kudos to Cori Bush for doing that. She didn't necessarily have to do it, but she should not have been put in a position to do that is the biggest thing. On that, I think she even shared that you know she had been you know homeless at one point. A lot of people had been homeless, whether you know sleeping at a friend's house, you know, or lost their home in, in some kind of capacity. And a lot of it's just really in, impacting people more now than ever with what's going on with the effects of the pandemic. So. Yeah, there's just there's just some people that are in leadership right now that are not making the best judgments. They're not making the best decisions for its citizens. And and again, that weight falls on their shoulder, not on the citizens. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, most of us or many of us are subject to, you know, those that govern us. You know what I'm saying? And it's like it's just like, you know, it's no different than having somebody in your home that claims to be a leader. And then the direction that they take you in is going to have you suffering. You know what I'm saying? No, you don't want to be subject to that. You, you don't want to do that. So the same thing with the with the with the with the leaders that are in our communities that are also in our states, uh, you know, and right on up to the doorsteps of, of D.C. You got to yeah. make better decisions and you got to think about the people instead of the bottom line. The bottom line is not necessarily that important. You've already got multitudes of, 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 of billionaires. You got a bunch of millionaires. There's an imbalance in this country, which is ridiculous. You got. One percent of the country, one percent of the citizens holding 90 to 95 percent of the wealth. And everybody else is working. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're told that we're supposed to chase this, this golden carrot, you know, and if we work hard enough, we'll be able to attain that. And I think that's absolutely different. Uh, You know, it's it's ridiculous. You know, come on, man. (laughs) That's an imbalance. Yeah, it's an imbalance. It's like. 
you you know all of these billionaires out here and you're holding all of this money and you say okay well they have to do that because they they're the one they're the job creators and okay whatever uh but if you if we and i'll end with this if we are in a judeo-christian society and you believe in helping your neighbors and you believe in the christ that you talk about there's no way in hell that you're going to see a man or a woman or a child for that matter and not find the best way to help them. You know what I'm saying? You don't necessarily have to give them a bunch of money, but make sure that they have adequate education. Make sure that they have adequate health care. Make sure you, they have all of that to make the best decision for their lives. And right now there's a lot of people that's withholding that from a mat from the masses or the masses can't get any of it. And, and, and that's going to be very problematic in the next two years. Definitely. Yeah. Right. So that was our last story. Um, I wanted to talk about your podcast in closing the all things black podcast. Um, tell us what your podcast is about and where we can find it. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. We get to the good stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, I love that conversation. I love the questions that you ask and I love the stories that you actually went over. You, that's a great format. Uh, it's nothing. It's, I've never thought about doing anything like that on mine. But anyway, um, I just love being on the on the show and, and the spirit of exchange that we had. Uh, but yes, uh, I run the I run the All Things Black podcast. Uh, I'm new to the podcasting space. I've been podcasting since the beginning of the year. Uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I'm new to the space. I'm still learning a, 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 a lot uh, as we go. But uh, like I said earlier in the in the broadcast, uh, that I do have a degree in audio engineering and, and uh, music technology. So I'm familiar with that space. So yes, I got the Rodecaster Pro. Yes, I got the Rode Pod mics. I got the software that you know to be able to you know really get down and, and dirty with the editing and recording. So I have all of that. But my podcast primarily is about telling black stories and life experiences through the art of podcasts and the visual media. So I'm really okay. purpose purposefully um, wanting to have, you know, black people come on the program and legitimately talk about that, talk about their life experiences or their expertise in certain fields, because uh, from my understanding, a lot of what is occurring in black communities with people that are really, really making an impact or those that are trying to make an impact, those stories don't get told a lot of times. So mm -hmm. uh, I want to be the avenue where they can come on and feel free in those spaces to talk about what they are doing or what uh, they are trying to accomplish or just a life story in general. So that's what my podcast is about. So we talk about anything from fatherhood to generational wealth creation and dynastic wealth creation. Uh, there's, uh, there's a beautiful sister that I interviewed named Latanya White, Professor Latanya White. Mm -hmm. uh, she is absolutely incredible. And she's been studying dynastic wealth and creation, uh, uh, general wealth creation for a while now. And she nice. really wants to educate like people on the differences and what that is, because we know about generational wealth, but we don't necessarily yes. know what dynastic wealth is, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it blew my mind when I heard it. I was like, what? <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so fatherhood, family, relationships, um, entrepreneurship, business, all that kind of stuff is what I okay. talk about on, on the show. Awesome. So people could reach out if they want to be a guest or something. Yes, or... yes, yes. I have, uh, I have, if you go to my website, ATB oh, podcast. Okay. Yeah. ATB podcast. And there's also, um, uh, on my Instagram page, which is ATB, ATB podcast, under, underscore podcast, AT black underscore podcast, I believe. So if you go there, you find out, find out a little bit more information. There's also uh, a link in my bio that will take you to another page where you can uh, partake of some of the services and stuff there, which is, again, you, you know, if you want to be a guest on the show, you can schedule right in that link. Uh, if you want to, you know, um, have some, some kind of consulting going on. You can click on another link, um, you know, so yeah. So you, you know, listen to the podcast, you, there's a link for that. So yeah. So you'll be able to find me there. And also you can listen to the show on Apple podcast, Spotify, yes. uh, Google podcasts, um, radio public, 
uh, iHeartRadio. So just about all the streaming platforms is where you can go and uh, and listen. Okay. And then your course that's coming up, when is it being offered? So I'm finalizing everything, but that course okay. is mainly geared towards people that are in the podcast space that want to get a better sound quality for their recordings. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, many people are doing podcasts today. And uh, I absolutely love that. And there's a lot of us that are getting to that in, into that space as well, which I absolutely love uh, as well. Uh, but I think there's some fundamental things that uh, people can know about to actually get a greater sounding quality of their podcast. Because it's one thing to listen to great content, but it's another thing to listen to great content with great audio. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it makes a difference. It makes a total difference. Uh, but so that's what I'm here to help with is to, you know, give you some fun- fundamentals that will help you improve the audio quality without spending a ton of money on getting gear. You know, and that's a lot of times you don't have to spend a lot of money on getting all of this gear to make that happen. There's just some general things that you can do uh, per se yourself to okay. uh, accomplish that. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's awesome. So I uh, definitely post your links and we definitely appreciate you joining us today. Anything else you want the people to know? Just that, uh, you know, for the, for the listeners that enjoy listening to podcasting, um, make sure that you intentionally listen to the, us as black podcasters, right? Um, we're trying our best to give you the best content that we can, that we can do. We can, we can, and, you know, we're working our behinds off. We might not be like the, the top tier podcasters or whatever, but, you know, give us a shot, uh, give us a listen and, uh, you know, rate us. You know what I'm saying? The same way that you would rate another podcast that's, that's uh, in, in the vein of, you know, celebrity podcast or something like that, because we're, we're quick to do that because we love those type of people. But if you hear like a Jen, you know, what, what she's doing right now, walk by, walk by accident podcast, go to her podcast, man. And comment comment on it share her links uh that kind of stuff you know and if she's open to donations donate to her podcast <laughs> donate to her it will help everybody so that's what i would say you know make sure that you give us a listen you know support us that's the biggest thing all right well said well thank you for that <laughs> Um, no, for sure. It's all about um, supporting each other. And um, I agree. So yeah, we thank you again and much continued success with everything you have going on. And that is a wrap. Thank you guys for listening. At this time, we are going to go ahead and conclude this episode. We do appreciate you listening. We do invite you to follow us on social media. On Instagram, it is Woke by Accident Podcast. On Twitter, it is Woke by. The Gmail is Woke by Accident at gmail.com. And we are available on all of your favorite streaming platforms. Please go out and follow us, share, leave a review, tell a friend. And every time you listen, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you again and take care.